Hey, and welcome to episode 6 of the MTG Collection Builder podcast. I'm Brian, the lead and only developer of mtgcollectionbuilder.com, and in this podcast we're going to cover a lot of news relevant to Magic Collectors, including new products and bannings. We're also going to talk about fun topics like the card of the week and the topic of the week, which this week are misprints. I'm super excited to talk about those. If you haven't heard of mtgcollectionbuilder.com, it's a website where you can track your Magic Collection and how much it's worth. It gives you little progress bars for each side. You can record all the cards you have in foil and non-foil. And it's free to use. Feel free to check it out at mtgcollectionbuilder.com. And this podcast is brought to you by Patreon. And I wanted to, again, thank my patrons for all of the support. It's been awesome. And the size of the Patreon keeps growing, which is pretty cool. I've been getting lots of great feedback on Discord through my patrons. And they've been directly reflected with changes in not only the current version of the website, but the new version of the website that I'm working on. If you wanted to support either the website or the podcast directly, feel free to head on over to patreon.com slash mtgcollectionbuilder. And depending on your tier, you can get access to cool perks like ad removal for your account. You can reach me anytime on Discord, all sorts of cool stuff. So feel free to check that out if you're interested. And now let's move on to the news. The first news item is that the card Flash has been banned in Commander. This happened on April 20th, and it was banned actually in both Commander and Legacy and Restricted and Vintage. Flash, if you don't know, is one in a blue for an instant Flash. And it reads, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. If you do, sacrifice it unless you pay its mana cost reduced by up to two. So you can see the power level of this card where you can basically give any creature you want flash because it costs one and a blue, but then when you play it with flash, then you can not have to pay two, up to two generic mana of its cost. Interestingly, this is just a $3 card before the banning, and the price wasn't changed much before or after the banning. I've seen no significant difference. It's been printed in Mirage, in Classic 6 Edition, and in Masters 25. And that's probably why the banning hasn't affected the price significantly. It's not like a super old card. And on that note, banned cards might be a fun collection goal to look at. I'll see if I can add that to MTGCB at some point. Also in the news, Wizards announced Brawl, Vintage, and Legacy bans on May 18th. An effective May 18th, 2020, in Brawl, Dranith Magistrate, and Winota, Joiner of Forces are banned. In Legacy, Luris of the Dream Den and Zerda the Dawnwalker are banned. And in Vintage, no surprise, Luris of the Dream Den is banned. That card was just busted. For most of these cards, the prices have tanked significantly, sometimes going to half of their highest point value. Just keep an eye out on these if you wanted to grab one for your collection. The prices still look like they're on the decline. Next on the news, kind of a depressing item. Planeswalker points and DCI numbers are being sunset. Starting May 27th, players will no longer be able to access the Planeswalker points website, and they'll be unable to accrue them anymore. Additionally, soon your DCI number, you won't be able to use it for anything anymore. Instead, you're going to need a Wizards account which will most likely integrate with the Magic the Gathering Companion app that they're working on, which should tie in nicely to the whole tournament system. But it's a little sad, since it was kind of a point of pride for a lot of people to brag about their low DCI numbers based on when they started playing Magic and to compare them. I still have my DCI card in my wallet, and even though it's uh, pretty heavily beat up, it was actually the inspiration for having a collector number on MTG Collection Builder. That's the number you see in the URL when you're connected. So um, continue to show that off with pride. If you have a lower number, that means you joined the site before anyone else, so that's cool. Next item on the news is that Secret Layer Ultimate Edition has been delayed slightly. Due to manufacturing delays, the release date has been pushed back two weeks, so it'll instead be released on June 12th. And if you don't remember, Secret Layer Ultimate Edition is the one with Fetchlands. Now for more uplifting news, Wizards announced the Love Your Local Game Store promotion. So this is how it works. Starting June 5th, with no end date yet announced, if you buy something from your local game store, you can get access to two possible promotional cards or an art print. Specifically, if you make any purchase at all, including an event entry for an online event, say if your store were hosting an MTG Arena event, for example, you could get access to a promotional reliquary tower, which is labeled as being from the Bring a Friend set on the bottom of the card, which is pretty interesting. It feels like they reappropriated what they intended to be a Bring a Friend event into the Love Your Local Game Store promotion, which is cool. 
Additionally, if you buy a box of any product, including an Ikoria booster box or a Mystery booster box, you'll get a Buy a Box Hangerback Walker promo with a Mecha Godzilla art style. Additionally, if you play in a Love Your Local Game Store event, once it's safe to do so after this COVID-19 nonsense, you can receive an art print featuring Vivian fighting a monster on Ikoria, and it looks pretty cool. You could frame it and put it up in your game room. And the last item on the news is a new product announcement called Double Masters. It's a new master set featuring 332 cards, 15 card boosters, 24 packs per box. And the gimmick is that it comes with double of everything. So you get two rares per pack, two foil slots guaranteed to be foil. And those could be rare as well, so you can get the god pack with like four mythics. It'll come with two box toppers instead of one. And they have a bunch of examples for these box toppers and cards that'll be on the set, including Blightsteel Colossus and Doubly Season. There will be no fetch lands, which is letting us know up front, so we're not disappointed. But they'll be coming in a product later this year. And that's it for the news. So now let's move on to the card of the week, which this week is Wit's End. Wit's End is five black black, so seven mana total, for a rare sorcery. And it reads, target player discards his or her hand. And the flavor text, which is relevant here, says, your pathetic ideas lie in shambles, Planeswalker. Where is your arrogant pride now? And that's quoted by Nicol Bolas. So why are we talking about this card? Well, this card is special because it's actually a misprint uh, of the category Human Error. There's a typo in the flavor text where it says your pathetic ideas. It reads your pathetic ideas. It's spelled P-A-T-H-E-I-T-C, which immediately stands out when you read the card. It's like, whoa, a typo on a magic card. This was my first misprint. I pulled it out of a pack, and I was way too excited. This card was originally printed in Dissension, but it was reprinted in M13, and that's where the typo happened in the flavor text. Now, the card's only worth 24 cents, and it sees no play whatsoever, because paying 7 mana to make a player discard their hand is pretty terrible. Unless you can think of a cool deck, send me your ideas if you have one. So why would you collect this? You'd collect it, I think, for the typo. It, it could be a... You can imagine someone having a human error misprint collection, right? Where you have every card where wizards goofed something up, just in a folder to show to your friends. I think that's a pretty cool collection goal. And that's the card of the week, Wit's End. Incredible typo. And now let's move on to our main topic, which are misprints. So let's say you've, you've collected everything. You've got your Power 9 or Power 10 on the wall with custom LED lights pointing at it all. Your game room is just decked out with foil, uncut sheets of cards, and you're kind of bored. You've collected all of Magic. Your collection's worth like $200,000, but it's not enough. So now you want to collect every possible misprint of every card you own or something obscene like that. And it's amazing the community that exists out there for collecting misprints. It's really varied. It pops up on Reddit now and then, but there's a wonderful group on Facebook of guys that really love misprints. And there's an awesome community on misprintedmtg.com and some other related sites where people get really into this stuff. And misprints have been beautifully categorized by this community, and this is what we're going to be running through today. So we're going to talk about every kind of misprint that exists in Magic, and we're going to learn about how to evaluate these and buy and sell them. So let's start with the basics. What is a misprint, right? It's basically any card that has a mistake on it that wasn't printed in the way that was intended by the manufacturer or Wizards of the Coast. And the community, the misprint community, really feels that a misprint should be of significant severity. So if the, if the color on the card is just slightly darker or slightly too bright, or if it's a slight miscut but not really a miscut, we'll talk about that later, then it's not really a misprint. It just varies within an acceptable threshold. Because when you print a mass amount of product, you're going to get a little bit of variance here and there. Maybe you sl slowly start to run out of ink here. You maybe got too much ink on this print. It was the card is slightly misaligned, and so on. 
So a misprint is a significant error in the printing of a card, not just a super minor one. Now we're going to talk about every category of misprint that is known of at this time, and how to distinguish them and evaluate how severe of a misprint they are. And since a lot of this topic is visual in nature, I'm going to do my best to describe these misprints to you, but I'm going to have a link in the show notes of whatever podcast app you're using, and you'll be able to click a link to a wonderful article by Misprint at MTG that'll show a lot of really good examples of all of these categories, and I'll be covering them in the same order to make it easier to follow. The first category of misprints we're going to talk about are miscuts, and a general rule of thumb is that if it doesn't show a second card, it's not severe enough of a miscut to actually be a miscut. Instead, that would be an off-centered card. Now, you might be wondering what I mean by this, and some background information you need to know is when magic cards are made, they're printed on these giant print sheets. Basically, they print a bunch of magic cards together, side by side, on a sheet, and then that sheet later gets cut. And sometimes in the cutting process, the sheet can be misaligned, and it can result in a miscut. Now, if it's miscut just a little bit, so instead of being the card image being centered with a black border around it, maybe it hugs the top of the card or the bottom of the card more closely, that's just an off-centered cut. It's not actually a miscut. The really valuable miscuts are the ones where you can actually see the start of another card within your card. So you might have Black Lotus as an example, but then it's kind of off-centered, like really far down, and then you can see Mox Opal above it as an obscene example that I hope doesn't exist because that would be worth more than the GDP of the United States. That would be a miscut. It's when it's cut so poorly that you can see two cards on one card. And the severity varies. Sometimes it's just a slight miscut where the bottom of your card will be cut off and you'll see the bottom of another card above your card, just barely. And sometimes it can be so severe you actually see like two halves of a card on one card, including the magic back being messed up. Now, even though off-centered cards which are not technically miscuts, aren't very valuable to collectors. They can be if it's a staple in Legacy or Commander. That will bring you in some value, but the real money is when you get an actual miscut where you can see multiple cards on a single card. Now you can get some interesting exceptions in corner cases. If the miscut is toward the edge of a sheet, then you can see some kind of cool information. Sometimes you'll just see a white border alongside your black border. Sometimes you'll see property of Wizards of the Coast written in some technical jargon that you're not supposed to be able to see. Or you'll see an array of colors, which is basically testing the colors of all the ink that the printer has at that time. So even though those miscuts technically don't show a second card, because they show behind-the-scenes information about how the cards are printed, they can actually contribute a significant value to that misprint. You can also get miscuts where the sheet is not only misaligned, but rotated. So it gives the card kind of a twisted look within the card frame. And that value can vary significantly based on the value of the card intrinsically and whether or not the twist is aesthetically pleasing. You can also sell miscuts as a set called connectors, and that's where you have multiple cards that came from the same sheet and were miscut, and you can actually put them together like a jigsaw puzzle to show, hey, this is how this sheet was miscut. The more you have of these together, the better, but it's unlikely that some collectors would buy them all because they may be interested in just a particular miscut and they wouldn't want the rest of them in the set. Very rarely you can have a miscut that's so extreme that you can actually see four cards on one card frame, where the miscut was so misaligned that it's kind of at the center edge of where four cards meet. But you got to watch out, because a lot of these are actually non-factory cuts, and they're not legitimate miscuts. Basically, someone took an uncut sheet that they got as a prize, and then they cut it into the shape of a card wherever they wanted. With that being said, there are real miscuts that are three, show three or four cards, but they're pretty rare. They have known to occur in Fallen Empires, Homelands, Weatherlight, Mirage, Ice Age, 4th Edition, Shards of Alara, and many other sets. But for the most part, be very cautious if you're buying one of these to ensure their legitimacy. 
So that was the first type of misprint, a miscut. And now we're gonna move on to the second type of misprint you can have, which is called a crimp. And this happens when a card is misaligned when it's going to be sealed into a pack of some sort. And you know how when you open a pack, you kind of have that serrated edge where it's kind of glued or fused together. If a card is wedged into that part of the pack when the pack is sealed, it'll damage the card, it'll be crimped, and it'll kind of have a wavy pattern on the paper. Now, if you think about how a booster pack is sealed, they're sealed in three different places. They're sealed on the top of the pack, on the bottom of the pack, and on the back of the pack. That's where you get the satisfying where you open the back of the pack and you pull the cards out. So therefore, crimps can happen either on the top of a card, on the bottom of a card, or just down the center of a card. Now, if you really want to get into the weeds with this stuff, how cards are packaged actually varies per region, and this can affect the shape of the crimping pattern on the card, and also where the crimping occurs. And in some extreme cases, you can actually get a card cut in half because they're that misaligned during the pack sealing. But sometimes you can find the other half of the card in the same booster box, and that's pretty cool. So you can just put them together, and I think it's a pretty cool collector's item. And that's the second category of misprints, crimping. Now we're going to move on to the third category of misprints, which are called ink errors in general. And this encompasses a very large variety of potential printing errors on the card, so bear with me, we're going to go through them all. The first type of ink error you can have is called a printer hickey, which is a new term for me, and that's basically when a small particle or, or a piece of debris or dust gets on what are called the print blankets, and then you'll get an error on the card. Generally, if they're smaller than, say, like a five millimeters, it doesn't really matter. But if you get a larger smear of ink, on the card, then that can be interesting to a collector. Sometimes it'll look like a red splash, almost blood-like, or sometimes it'll be like a black blot of color. It depends on where it is on the card, whether or not it's of interest to people. Next kind of ink error you can have is called smudging, and it's exactly what it is. It's when the ink smudged because there was either too much ink or it didn't dry before it was moved. It usually happens on the text layer, but it has to be pretty extreme to be interesting to a collector because smudges are fairly common and usually pretty benign. Worth noting too that if the card name is smudged, it probably wouldn't be tournament legal because that's the one part of the card that judges really hold sacrosanct. Another category of ink error is called bleeding and that's when too much of a color got on a specific color layer and it kind of creates a smeared effect on the card, which in some cases give the entire card a really cool tone, right? So you had a blood moon and it had some bleeding issues with the red layer of ink and it just looked extra red and bloody. That could be a value to a collector. Usually it's how much ink you have smeared that determines how valuable of a misprint a bleed is. Another type of ink error is called ghosting, also known as double printing, and it's exactly what the name describes. You sometimes have a print that occurs where the ink from the prior print didn't get cleaned off properly, so you'll see an imprint of whatever was printed previously. Often it'll be slightly offset just due to variance, so it'll kind of give it like an almost 3D look, and that's how you know you have a ghosted or double printed card. There's a similar misprint that can occur when you have rollers that weren't cleaned properly, which can have some of the ink from the previous print job transfer onto the current print job. And the most famous one of these, which I found out from misprinted MTG, are called the Charlie Brown medallions, and I kid you not. These are medallions that were printed, where if you look really closely at the card, you can see Charlie Brown's smiling face in the background in the top right corner. It's this has to be the coolest misprint I've ever heard of, and right now I see one on eBay for $40, so they're not that expensive. Another similar misprint is a registration error, and that's when cards are printed in multiple color passes, and these all have to be aligned properly. So a registration error is when one of these color passes is not aligned. For example, you might have the layer where the mana symbols are printed, and then there's a layer above it where the black text is printed, like the number three within the generic mana bubble. 
And if that's misprinted, it'll look misaligned. And it can be mistaken for ghosting because it almost looks like a double print, but if you look more closely, you see, oh, it's just that one black color layer that got misaligned. So it's therefore a registration error and not ghosting. There's also a whole other category of ink errors where you have missing or lower amounts of ink instead of extra or misaligned prints. The first example is you can have a blotch of missing ink entirely on one of the layers, which will just look white, like they ran out of ink during the printing. And sometimes this error will span across multiple cards. Sometimes you'll just have a missing color channel where maybe you're only out of some of the ink, which can lead to what are called albino cards. And these are ones that either just have the black layer or the black and cyan layers of ink. And they look like an albino card. It's super cool. Now, before warned, sometimes you'll see a card that looks albino, but it's really just a sun-bleached card where a magic card was left out in the sun for way too long, and it's faded over time. Apparently the key to distinguishing these is to look out for the blue color. So blue is the last color to fade from UV radiation. So when you look at a card and you're trying to distinguish, is this a sun-bleached card or is this a legitimate albino misprint? Look for the blue ink. If you see blues left over throughout the card, then you know that it's like a quote-unquote fake albino. It was just a card that was sun-bleached. And that wraps up the ink error category of misprint. Next we're going to move on to the fourth category of misprints, which are fillers. Now, as I mentioned earlier, cards are printed in sheets, which are usually 11 by 11 cards, or 22 inches by 20 inches, something like that. And for some sets, you may not have to print a card in every available slot on a particular sheet. So you'd get a blank spot. So these are, these are called filler slots, and sometimes they have a patterned barcode or a Magic the Gathering symbol or the word discard in big letters with a black background. There are quite a large variety of these, and it may even vary per region. You can go to misprintedmtg.com and read the article that I linked in the show notes to see a list of every possible one that's known of. Next category of misprint is called human errors, and this is where wizards messed up or someone entering data into a spreadsheet that ultimately would end up going to the printer made a typo or an error or an omission, and there are all kinds of these. You can make a typographical error like we saw in Wits End, the card of the week. You can have the wrong casting cost on some cards, which we've seen recently. You can have the power and toughness just missing entirely. You can have things mistranslated, sometimes to a humorous effect. And sometimes you can have the wrong art on a card. There's a Spanish version of Sarah Angel, for example, that is printed on a blue frame, and it features really trippy art of another card instead of Sarah Angel, but it, it kind of looks super cool in a trippy sort of way. There are way too many examples to go over explicitly, but feel free to check out that misprinted MTG article. There are links to forums where people cover these pretty comprehensively. The next category of error is called a corner error, and this is where the cutting of the edge of the corners of the card are messed up. As you may be aware, there was a slight change in how the corners were cut from the early editions of Magic to later, but for the most part it's been consistent, but sometimes cards will miss the edge of the cutting die, and then they'll come with some square corners, either one corner, two corners, three corners, or sometimes even all four corners, where they'll be completely square instead of having the nice rounded edge that we're used to. There's also a very specific corner misprint where a card will accidentally have the alpha style cut corners instead of the later versions. And this is where the, the printer used the wrong cutting die for the cards. This happened a couple times in history, but it was most commonly found in fourth edition, but also occurred in revised and ice age. Now you need to be careful with these because anyone can just cut a corner of a card perhaps to match the rest of their alpha cards for example. So just make sure that you're buying from a reputable source if you're looking for these kind of misprints. Sometimes you get a combination of a miscut and a corner error where the card is a little off target when the cut happens and this can end up in the corner of the card appearing somewhere where it shouldn't be a corner at all. It almost looks like someone tore the card and that is damaged but it's 
a legitimate miscut. It just looks god-awful. The next category of misprint is called a stamping error, and this occurs a lot with the increase of stamps on cards. You may know that when you go to a pre-release and you get your promotional pre-release card, you'll have the date of the event stamped on the card. And with more things added like this to cards, it's just more sources of errors. So a notable example is that Stalking Tiger, which appeared in Target promotional boosters, was supposed to have a Happy Holiday stamp, but there was probably a miscommunication of some sort, and they got printed without that stamp, which makes them physically different printings than the original Stalking Tiger. You can also get date stamps that are missing part of their foiling. You can get date stamps that are shifted. Maybe the card got rotated before the stamping. You can get double stamps on cards. It gets pretty wild. Sometimes you even get extra foiling on the card, where at the bottom edge of the card will show a little bit of extra foil that was not intended. A common example of this is the Russian Wingmate Rock. And another category of misprint, which to me is very similar to human error, is unintentionally releasing a magic set, which has happened a few times. So the first example was alternate fourth edition, as it's known. So this was an attempt for Wizards of the Coast to use a United States-based printing company. It didn't end up working out the way they wanted it, and they were supposed to destroy all of the cards, but some of them were not destroyed. You can tell these apart from regular fourth edition, because if you look at the back of the card, the top of the letter A in Magic the Gathering is darker than normal. And the feel of the cards, they're described to feel more like poker cards, and they don't glow under a black light like official magic cards do. These were made exclusively in starter decks, and you can identify them by their ISBN number, but I won't worry you with that. You can just go to the misprinted MTG article to check out those details. But I'd mostly just look for the back of the magic card and see if the A is darker. That's the easiest way to identify them. Another set that was unintended to be released was the Summer Magic set, which was supposed to fix a bunch of printing errors that Revised had. It succeeded in this, but actually introduced more errors, including a blue hurricane, which I actually owned one of. It's pretty cool. And the set was deemed to be destroyed. But before it was destroyed, it was given out to some employees of Wizards of the Coast and Cardamundi, and some of them leaked to the public. The easiest way to identify these is to look at the copyright line of the card. If it's revised and it has illustrated copyright 1994 and then the artist name on a single line, then you know it's from the Summer Magic set. And notably, this makes it physically distinguishable, right? Because one could imagine a world where we would distinguish printings of cards by the card stock and which printer was used. But I think it's much easier to manage your collection if you actually stick to the rule of making sure that the card is physically distinguishable from another card. If so, then it's a unique printing and it deserves its own slot in your collection. Well, not strictly a misprint. Test prints are another category of misprint where sometimes wizards will make a test card meant for internal use, where they'll either leak to the public or get released to the public through some sort of human error. These include really cool examples of them experimenting with alternate card frames, like Mark Rosewart has mentioned a few times how he wished that the mana cost of a card had been on the top left. So that way, when you fan out your cards in your hand, you can just read all the mana costs very easily. There is a test print of Wild Mongrel in this manner. There also have the test prints where they experiment with different kinds of foiling for authenticating the validity or authenticity of a magic card, and many other examples. Another category of misprint is a very wide category of foil misprinting. These can result in seeing things like foil cut lines for the old foiling process, seeing foiling that is shifted, seeing foiling that is for the wrong art. You may have noticed that some foiling the foiling of the card actually matches the art, right? So if you have a dragon with its wings spanned outward, you would see foiling along the edges of the wing. But imagine if instead they put in the foiling for Nessian Boar or something, and then you're turning the card side to side to see the foil effect, and it doesn't match the art at all. That's its own category of misfoiling. You can also have the layer of foiling misshifted slightly, so this can cause kind of a ghosted effect. Similar to the one we mentioned before, but it's not ghosting of the ink, it's ghosting of the foil layer. 
The last category are misprints, so it's kind of a catch-all, and it includes things like playtest cards, where the old cards that wizards would print to test were just printed on printer paper, and I would absolutely basically never buy these, because you could just go to your printer right now and fake one of these. But if you buy it from a trusted source and it matches other playtest cards that you've seen, it, it may be okay. I just don't know if I would put a lot of money into these. Sometimes you can get the equivalent of a miscut on the back of a card because they're printed in a different part of the process. And then we get to one of my favorite misprints of all time, which are the Wyvern-backed Fallen Empires cards. So basically there's this game called Wyvern, right? So imagine you buy a Wyvern product and you open it up the starter pack. And inside it, you see a card where the back of it has the Wyvern logo. It's a big W, and it looks like kind of the back of a magic card before a different game, Wyvern. And then you flip it over, and you've got a magic card there. Like, what in the world? This isn't what I paid for. So you literally had Fallen Empires excellent get mixed up with this Wyvern game. So if you bought the Wyvern game, you would have the back of a Wyvern card, but the front would be a magic card. And these go for hundreds of dollars on eBay. They're super sweet. So these are technically Wyvern misprints and not magic misprints because you get them out of Wyvern products, but it's a magic misprint to me. You've got the front of a magic card and the back of a Wyvern card. That was a super quick overview of every type of misprint out there. If you want a more in-depth guide, do follow that link in the show notes to misprintedmtg.com. And you could, it's, a, it's a wide world of misprints and it's constantly changing as Wizards messes something up, which is fun. And a cool way to blink out your decks if that interests you. So misprints are cool, right? But are they actually worth any money? It depends. So just like anything in Magic, it's kind of a deal of supply and demand and rarity. The easiest way to determine the value of a misprint is to first authenticate that it is a misprint, figure out which category of misprint it is, again, using the link in the show notes, and then I would pop on over to eBay and I would search the name of the card, the type of misprint that it is, and I would filter it by completed listings. Because you actually want to see not just listings, but you want to see listings that are actually sold, right? Because is something really worth money if it just gets relisted on eBay over and over and isn't worth anything? I don't think so. So that's what I would do to determine the value of the card. And if I were interested in selling it, I would pop on over to the MTG Rarities Facebook group, which has over 40,000 members right now. And it's a very passionate community that is really the source of truth for what misprints are out there and how much they're worth. You should definitely check them out if that's your thing. And again, I just really wanted to thank mtgmisprints.com for all of this good information. I was very uninformed about misprints prior to the recording of this episode, but now I have a much deeper respect for them, so much so, in fact, that I would like to add features to MTG Collection Builder to support them. While I'll never be able to fetch realistic prices for these, since it's highly variable and depends on the misprint, what I would like to give to the users, what I'm picturing is, you have a card, and then you can you can add notes to it, right? That's an upcoming new feature. But additionally, you can, you can tag it, like, hey, this is a misprint, and I want to see, like, a drop-down where you select, this is an ink error misprint, and you can type in the notes a detail what it is. I'd also like to give users the ability to override the price based on their own analysis of what they believe that it's worth. So that way, when they look at their collections value, they it takes into account the fact that they have this crazy wyvern back misprint that is like $200 on eBay or something like that. But, but if you have any ideas on how to better handle misprints in MTG Collection Builder, feel free to reach out to me either via my Facebook or I'm MTG Collection Builder, via email or I'm brian at mtgcb.com, or via Twitter where I'm mtg underscore cb. And that'll just about do it for this episode. Again, thank you for joining me for this episode of the MTG Collection Builder podcast. And thanks again to my patrons. If you wanted to support the show or the site directly, feel free to go to mtgcollectionbuilder.com slash Patreon. Depending on the tier you select, you can get access to ad removal for your account. You can get immortalized on the website for all time. You can get a postcard sent to you, all sorts of cool stuff. So feel free to check that out over at Patreon. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time.
Hey, you've made it to another secret segment of the podcast where I can talk about anything I want with no editing, unless I do something egregious or my cat runs by like she did earlier. It's been a rough last few months, uh, both for me and for a lot of the world, unfortunately, with COVID-19. Uh, for me specifically, I've had a lot of 10 to 12 hour work days, even though I'm working from home. It's been kind of brutal. I've been dealing with some minor medical issues, sure to go okay so far, but I've been pretty exhausted. But with that said, I've still been working quite a bit on the new MTG Collection Builder website, and I kind of want to give you guys a status update on how it's going. So I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and this is actually the third iteration of my rewrite over the last few years. I was picking a technology, writing it, then I got sick of it, then I would scrap it and start over, and this is the third, or maybe technically the fourth iteration. But good news, uh, my backend infrastructure for the new website is now done. This is super important because I have to support authentication schemes that fit well with mobile apps because everyone wants mobile apps to come after the new website, and I don't blame you. I want it to. So with the backend infrastructure done right now, I'm working on populating my database with all the data that I need for the new features on the website, including supporting tokens and emblems and sealed products. So if someone wants to collect one of every booster pack, they can do that. So that's where I'm at right now, which is pretty tedious. I was able to automate a lot of it. Like I automated 42,000 cards, tying in my current cards in my database with Scryfall's data so we can do a lot more better searching and filtering. Uh, but I had to do 1,000 manually, which I just finished. I was doing them in a spreadsheet just... 100 a day whenever I felt like it and finally done with that so I'm going to be moving on to tokens emblems and foreign cards next and once all of this data is seeded in my new database and it's already wired up to my new backend infrastructure my API then I'll be able to work on the front end of the website which is the stuff you guys actually see and interact with and that'll be challenging but fun I've learned a lot since I first worked on MTGCB right out of college and I think I have some good ideas for the new interface that's will be more usable and I've kind of learned how you guys use MTG Collection Builder and how that differs from how I, I use it. And that's going to inform a lot of the front end design. And for people that are patrons, you guys will get a sneak peek at this in a beta, hopefully later this year. Fingers crossed. And I want to cram as many new features into version 1.0 of the new website as I can. But I'll probably postpone some of them to 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, and so on. Because once, once the new site's out, it's going to be a lot faster to iterate and add new features, which would be great. Because the current tech stack is super old and it's harder to add new stuff to. So if you have feel strongly about any features you feel should be in version 1.0, feel free to reach out to me and I'll try to accommodate. But I'm up to 164 feature requests, so some of it isn't going to make the cut right away, but it'll be in the pipeline and I'll prioritize based on the results of polls on Patreon and things like that. So again, thank you guys for supporting me in my little side project that has grown way bigger than I thought it ever possibly would. And I'm still working on making, as a side note, I'm still working on making the MTG Collection Builder folders that you guys can print uh, through my Dropbox link that you can see on the main page on mtgcollectionbuilder.com. I know I didn't make them for every set ever. I made them just for sets that I owned, and then suddenly it kind of became an unofficial part of the website. We're like, hey, you're missing this set and this set. Could you please make more folders? So I'm working on those as well here and there whenever I need a break from coding, which isn't as often as you think. Yeah, thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time. Oh, almost forgot. I am working with a sound designer right now, a composer, I guess, whatever the title is, to make a, a podcast intro and outro for this podcast, which is exciting to me. I am going to theme it like old school dungeon crawlers. Like I really like the Daggerfall soundtrack, so I wanted to kind of have that sound and vibe, like you're about to explore a new world or something with a little bit of a dark twist. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but I'm working with the composer right now, and I'm super excited. Thanks. See you next time, for real.